What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. From the Bloomberg Interactive Workers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, May 12th. Coming up today... Janet Yellen speaks out on the debt ceiling. We bring you our exclusive interview with the Treasury Secretary. The U.S. braces for a record migrant surge at the border as Title 42 comes to an end. Signs that tensions between the U.S. and China may be easing. And Elon Musk is close to naming a new CEO at Twitter. The man who prosecutors say put a New York City subway rider in a chokehold will be charged today. Plus, upstate New York and the city clash over busing migrants. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. Losses for the Mets and Yankees. The Devils season ended in overtime. The Knicks have game six tonight in Miami. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin in Washington, where today's debt ceiling meeting between the president and congressional leaders has been canceled. Amy Morris has details from our Bloomberg 99.1 newsroom in Washington. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says leaders agreed it would be more productive to let the staff continue talks behind the scenes. The White House didn't cancel the meeting. All of the leaders decided it's probably in the best of our interest to let the staff meet again before we get back together. Republicans say they'll agree to raise the debt ceiling in exchange for budget cuts. The president says the cuts should be a separate negotiation and that the current GOP proposal is just too harsh. He wants to cut 22 percent of everything that isn't defense spending. Social Security or Medicare. The meeting has been tentatively rescheduled for early next week. The Treasury Department warns the U.S. could default on payments as soon as June 1st. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Amy, thanks. Well, plenty of talk this morning on the consequences of not reaching a debt deal. We spoke with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just moments ago. There is no satisfactory solution for the United States, um, a solution that will be good for the economy and financial markets, other than Congress acting to raise the debt ceiling. Um, There are potential different paths that could be taken if that doesn't happen, but there is not a single um, thing that can be done that will save the United States from considerable um, economic and financial damage. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen made the comments to Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hordern at the G7 meetings in Japan. Stay tuned for the full exclusive interview coming up shortly on Bloomberg Daybreak. Well, Karen, Jamie Dimon is also weighing in on the debt limit stalemate. The CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase says a U.S. default would be potentially catastrophic. The closer you get to it, you will have panic. And so the closer you get, you have markets get volatile. Maybe the stock market go down. The Treasury markets will have their own problems. It's amazing you already have certain T-bills trading 3% and right next to them 5%. This is not good. And people should remember the American financial system is the foundation to the to the global economic system. And so, and the closer we get, more panic. We might get downgraded. Jamie Dimon's also chiming in on the banking crisis, telling us it's time for regulators to help put an end to the turmoil. 
Well, Nathan, we've heard from Janet Yellen and Jamie Dimon on the debt ceiling. Now we're learning they'll discuss the issue together. Politico is reporting Yellen, Dimon, Citigroup CEO Jane Frazier, and other members of the Bank Policy Institute will meet next week to discuss the debt limit impasse. Outside the debt debate, Karen, focus remains on the southern border where the U.S. is facing a record surge of migrants. Title 42 restrictions ended just before midnight. Already this week, illegal border crossings have topped 10,000 per day. Republican Senator Ted Cruz says the situation is overwhelming. This is deliberate. This is a decision that was made by President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and congressional Democrats to open up the border to what is nothing less than an invasion. Senator Cruz spoke along the border in Brownsville, Texas. The White House says tens of thousands of border agents are enforcing a new policy to deter illegal crossings. Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar of Texas says the border may be little more than a speed bump for migrants. I'm looking at the numbers that Border Patrol has in their facilities. And uh, and, and I can say this, on the average, they're like 135 uh, percent over. I mean, that is uh, capacity. Democrat Henry Cuellar of Texas spoke with Joe Matthew and Kaylee Lines on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. Well, we turn to geopolitics now, Nathan. U.S.-China relations are in focus. There is a glimmer of hope that tensions may be easing a bit, and Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. The two-day meetings in Vienna between National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi. The White House characterizes it as substantive and constructive. The White House statement says key issues in the U.S.-China bilateral relationship, global and regional security issues, Russia's war against Ukraine, and the cross-strait issues. China Xinhua framed the meeting in a similar way, saying the talks were constructive. The hope is they will set the stage for a Biden-Xi summit. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you, Ed. Let's turn to some corporate news this morning. Twitter appears to be getting a management change at the very top. Let's get the details live from Bloomberg's Steve Rappaport. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nathan and Karen. Elon Musk says the next CEO of Twitter will be a woman. Though he didn't name the successor, signs point to an NBC Universal executive. The Wall Street Journal reports Linda Yaccarino is in talks for the job. Yaccarino is chair of global advertising and partnerships at NBC Universal Media. She helped launched the streaming service Peacock and also oversaw high-profile events like the Super Bowl and the Olympics. Back in December, Musk in a Twitter poll asked users if he should step down. More than 57% said yes. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Steve, thanks. And we have economic data out of Britain this morning. The U.K. economy grew slowly in the first quarter, even though strikes sharply curtailed activity in March. GDP was up one-tenth of one percent from the prior year, and that left the U.K. on track for anemic growth in the first half. And this is Bloomberg. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. A Marine veteran will be charged today with second-degree manslaughter in the death of another subway rider on May 1st. Prosecutors in New York say Daniel Penny used a chokehold on 30-year-old Jordan Neely, witnesses say was acting erratically on the New York City subway and threatening other passengers. Protesters have been in the streets of New York since Neely's death. They were out again last night. Activist Selena Trow. We need accountability and that comes from the mayor and the governor because his death is on their hands for legitimizing that type of murder. Activist Selena Trow says there was no reason to strangle somebody to death. 
New York City and officials upstate are at odds, especially now that Title 42 has ended. Two busloads of migrants have moved to a hotel in Newburgh. It comes as city officials are busing asylum seekers north. Residents of Rockland and Orange Counties have vowed to do everything in their power to prevent New York City Mayor Eric Adams from busing the migrants. Adams sent them upstate, saying the city's resources are strained at maximum capacity. Representative George Santos was back at work on Capitol Hill to vote on a bill he co-sponsored that would help states go after people who committed unemployment fraud during the pandemic. The Long Island Republican himself was arraigned this week on COVID unemployment fraud. South Carolina Republican Representative Nancy Mace is one of at least 12 GOP Congress members calling for Santos to step down or be expelled. I actually said in January before he was indicted on these 13 charges that he should resign. And I stand by that as one of the first Republicans. We have to police our own and hold our own accountable. And that's what that's what we need to be doing today. Congressman Santos has denied any wrongdoing. Donald Trump is appealing the verdict of a New York jury that found him liable for sexually abusing and defaming New York author E. Jean Carroll and awarded her $5 million in damages. Yesterday, the former president's lawyer filed a notice of appeal in federal court in Manhattan two days after a jury decided against Trump. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, Michael, thanks. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports Update. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. Thanks, Nathan. The NBA and NHL playoffs began with all five New York area teams. The Nets, Rangers, and Islanders all went out in the first round. That left the Knicks and the Devils, who trailed three games to one. Game five at Carolina. Devils never trailed until seven minutes into sudden death. Back for Drury. Back to Gostas there at the left point. Now Kokaniemi, top of the right circle. His shot! And Raleigh the call. Also, NHL Dallas beats Seattle for a 3 2 lead. NBA Denver won by 25 at Phoenix, won the series in six. Boston stayed alive with a game six win at Philadelphia. As for the Knicks, they trailed Miami 3 1. Now it's 3 2, but can they win tonight in Miami? Games three and four there. The Knicks led for only 33 seconds over two games. Yankees and Rays, first to fourth the stadium, and a good look at why Tampa Bay is 30 9. Seven scoreless innings from Drew Rasmussen, Rays broke open what was a scoreless game in the fifth inning. They won 8-2. to two. They pulled away with six runs off three Yankee relievers. The Rays are nine games ahead of the Yanks, who will start Garrett Cole tonight. His last time out was in Tampa, and Cole couldn't hold a six-run lead. The Mets were shut out in Cincinnati 5 nothing. They've lost 13 of their last 17. Mike Anderson, fired by St. John's, he has filed a lawsuit seeking $45 million, 13 in back pay, 34 more in punitive damages. Anderson claims he was fired without cause and that St. John's used his buyout money to pay his successor, Rick Pitino. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. The only good outcome is raising the debt ceiling. That is yet another warning from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is cautioning on the catastrophic effects of a potential U.S. debt default. Yellen says congressional leaders are running out of time and options to set aside their differences and find common ground so the government can pay its bills. Janet Yellen sat down for an exclusive interview with Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hordern this morning at the G7 gathering in Japan to discuss the debt ceiling and other issues facing the U.S. Let's bring you that discussion right now. Unfortunately for you, in a way, what is looming over this G7 meeting is these concerns coming out of Washington, the debt ceiling negotiations, as well as still tremors in the banking industry. I want to start with the debt ceiling. Sure. Of course, uh, Wall Street is very concerned about this. There is that X date approaching that you laid out, potentially as soon as June 1st. But there's an assumption on Wall Street that if there's no negotiated deal after June 1st, Treasury will still maintain payments on securities. Is that assumption correct? Look, you know, what, all I can say is that there is no satisfactory solution for the United States, um, a solution that will be good for the economy and financial markets, other than Congress acting to raise the debt ceiling. Um, there are potential different paths that could be taken if that doesn't happen, but there is not a single um, thing that can be done that will save the United States from considerable um, economic and financial damage. But this plan was outlined back in 2011, and you were there at the FOMC meeting about it, and it said that Treasury principles and securities would be paid. Is this something that, at least for contingency plan, has been discussed with the president? So my understanding, um, I was at the Fed in 2011, is that this plan was never presented to the president and never approved. And But would you um, present it now? Look, we would, um, we, we are working full time to uh, work with Congress to raise the debt ceiling. That's where our focus is. We know that the only good outcome is one in which Congress act, acts as it has um, many times, almost 80 times mm-hmm. since 1960, to 
um, raise the debt ceiling. What global markets and American households and businesses need to see is that we have a Congress that's committed um, to paying the bills that we've incurred as a consequence of our legislation, that we're not a deadbeat country. Mm -hmm. And if Congress fails to do that, it really impairs our credit rating. We have to default on some obligation, whether it's treasuries or payments to Social Security recipients. Um, that's something America hasn't done since 1789, and we shouldn't start now. So um, we've not discussed what to do um, if that doesn't occur with the president, our focus is on getting it done. Because as you know, treasuries are the bedrock of the global financial system. And the asset managers I speak to, the investors, they don't have the luxury of not contingency planning. So at this point, should they assume that debt may not be serviced if there's no deal? Look, if Congress doesn't raise the debt ceiling, we face economic and financial catastrophe one way or the other. And that's why our focus is on making sure that Congress does raise the debt ceiling. I feel that that's something we're going to succeed at doing, and we're working hard to make sure that that, that gets done. As we get closer to June 1st, will you alert Congress on a more precise date? Yes, I will update Congress as we have available information. But Anything um, new now or still June 1st? Well, what I've said is early June um, and potentially as early as June 1. As we get closer, I may be able to provide more refined guidance. But, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty about the exact level of cash balances and payments um, that we have to make from day to day. And so um, there remains a level of uncertainty about precisely when we would run out of cash to be able to pay the government's bills. Jamie Dimon was on Bloomberg TV yesterday, and he said he set up a war room for contingency planning. Are you actively speaking to executives? I have talked, um, not within the last few weeks, but earlier, um, around the time in January when I sent my first letter, I talked to a number of uh, bank executives. More recently, I've talked to leaders of business, businesses in different sectors of the economy, and I will be meeting with senior bankers uh, next week when I get back. But I want to understand how they're thinking about the debt ceiling. And what I'm hearing is that it is a grave source of uncertainty that is um, one of the things that businesses are really concerned about, one of the biggest sources of uncertainty in terms of um, many big American businesses. That's where we're hearing, too, at Bloomberg. Um, how frustrated are you potentially that these bank executives you're speaking to are not putting pressure on Congress, particularly Republicans? Well, um, you know, Wall Street um, executives and American business people have always spoken out about their concerns about the debt ceiling, and I think it's appropriate for them um, to talk about how they see the debt ceiling is impacting the American economy and the global economy. Um, so those voices, we, you know, we want to hear voices of uh, people who will be affected by this. 
on top of all this, there's still some tremors in the banking system. In two months, almost to the date, we've had four U.S. lenders fail. But the administration continuously says that the banking sector is sound and resilient. Is that a fair assessment when you look at the regional banking sector? Well, the regional banks have been under some stress, but I think the banks that have failed have had some very unique characteristics that have made them vulnerable. Um, the banks that failed tended to have um, substantial um, losses, mark-to-market losses, mm -hmm. on their hold-to-maturity portfolio. So although their regulatory capital wasn't impaired, um, their tangible equity was diminished. And they simultaneously had a very high proportion of uninsured deposits. And that profile is not very common. But look, a lot of banks, particularly regional banks, um, are seeing their earnings come under pressure. Um, the amount that they're having to pay for deposits is rising, mm -hmm. and in many cases their investments are at lower interest, and their stock prices are coming under pressure. But most banks now, um, even including the ones that, ha that are seeing pressure on their stock prices, have solid liquidity, would be able to manage paying off uninsured depositors if they were to flee. Um, Are but, you confident no other regional or small lenders will fail? Well, look, I don't want to talk about the situations of individual banks, but um, what I see is a banking system that overall is well capitalized, still has very solid earnings, and um, we've improved uh, the available liquidity mm -hmm. to the banking system and um, think that banks um, are going to be able to survive this. But, you know, we're monitoring this situation very, very carefully. The other big elephant in the room at this G7 meeting is, of course, China. And you spoke about this yesterday, how you're working with your peers to look at outbound investment, potentially, uh, when it comes to China. This would add on to what the United States has already done with export controls and sanctions. And you recently gave this speech about China mm -hmm. and how the U.S. views economic policy. And what you made clear is that national security concerns will be paramount, even if it becomes to economic concerns. So That's right. I'm curious why the U.S. still has tariffs on China if that is an economic benefit to many U.S. consumers. Well, look, you know, there was a, um, a so-called 301 action that was filed against China for unfair trade practices. And um, China was found guilty of 301 violations. And those tariffs were put on place as retaliation for unfair trade practices. Um, the Trump administration arrived at an agreement with China that might have led to lowering them. China didn't carry out their part But um, is there any national security concerns about clothing no, or upholstery? No, that's not, that's not a national security concern. That's a 
it's unfair trade practices, so um, that's not national security related. We, we do have concerns with some of the practices that China is engaged in um, with respect to trade and investment, um, whether it's forced technology transfer, massive subsidies to industries mm -hmm. um, that really distort patterns of international trade. Um, yeah, and that'll be a big topic as well when President Biden meets with his uh, the other leaders in Hiroshima. But right. also on China, you, I know that you're looking forward to potentially going to Beijing. You said at the appropriate time. Yes. We now have your counterpart in place, Ho Li Fang. He's been there for several weeks. So are there any plans in the works? I, I expect to travel there. I can't tell you what the date is. Um, we have a number of senior... Um, American officials that are likely to go. Um, we need to sequence them appropriately. And will you be the first? Uh, I I I don't know who will be the first, but um, we're working with the Chinese and discussing among ourselves what the appropriate Any sequencing is. Any phone call is. yet, though, with um, Hu Li Feng, or you're just going to wait to see him in person? Um, I haven't had contact yet with uh, my new counterpart. And if I could ask one final question, uh, Madam Secretary, I know you're staying on for the remainder of the Biden administration, but President Biden also announced he's running for 2024. Would you consider another <laughs> I, four years I, at Treasury? Well, look, I, I was really thrilled to be asked to serve. I've really enjoyed the position I have. I have a lot of work to do, and that's a topic I have not yet given any thought to, but I would like to stay until the end of the, his first term and continue on the important agenda of work that we have at Treasury. And that was the Secretary of the U.S. Department of Treasury, Janet Yellen, speaking with Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hordern from the sidelines of the G7 gathering in Japan. And Anne-Marie uh, joins us now with more on this really great interview with the Treasury Secretary. Really cool to hear you, Anne-Marie, try to press Janet Yellen on her yeah. future plans as well as her potential meetings with China. But, of course, the debt ceiling overrides it all. And it still seems like she's trying to keep those other options uh, close to her vest. She is. Even when you press her about the contingency plans that she was aware of in 2011 when she was at the Fed, there was this meeting that was made public years later about what the Fed knew Treasury was willing to do. She does not want to speak about contingencies because she doesn't want the global marketplace. She doesn't want politicians in Washington to think that it would be okay if they defaulted. The U.S. government would have to make some very hard decisions on whether or not they pay the principals, um, the coupons on bonds maturing, or if they were to pay bills like Social Security, um, uh, you know, money that goes out to veterans. So politically, it'll be very fraught for them to have to make these decisions. But what we do know is that the assumption was in 2011, when we last had a massive debt ceiling fight, that they were going to prioritize the payments on the debt. But this is something that she did say their path forward, but they don't even want to discuss them out loud. And we got some confirmation from you as well that the secretary is going to be meeting with bank executives next week. What can we expect to come out of those discussions? Well, I think one thing is she wants to make sure that anyone in the executive world, whether it's business or banks, is going to put pressure on politicians. Um, she's probably not going to really open up uh, what she plans on discussing with them. But what we do know is that bank executives are concerned. 
Jamie Dimon told Francine Lacroix yesterday that they've set up a war room at J.P. Morgan. And right now, it's maybe frequented once a week. That will start to go down to once a day and then potentially three times a day. So for banks that hold you know, billions of dollars in treasuries, the bedrock of the global financial system, they're looking at contingency planning. And that is something I imagine they're going to press Madam uh, Secretary on. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.